Welcome to the 2020 Baby Podcast with me, Pamela Douglas, and uh, my friend and colleague down the line from New Zealand, Dr. Nikki Mills, um, to talk with me today to have a good old chat, really, which I've been very much looking forward to, on the functional anatomy of sucking and swallowing in um, breastfed babies. So welcome, Nikki. Thank you, Pamela. So, Nikki, are you right now if we move into a more detailed conversation about this whole fascinating, I think I'm fascinated, you're fascinated by the biomechanics of, of the suck. Um, we started, I started a little riff there on, on the use of ultrasound to begin to elucidate suck biomechanics in breastfed babies and uh, we talked a little bit about a lad's study that's a 2014 study I think and and then um, what I think is is you know um, world leading research in this particular area coming out of the human lactation research group although of course your work sits alongside world leading work in terms of suck and swallow and breastfeeding so I, I one thing I'd like to talk to you about is the different way of analysing, of measuring and then analysing was used by ELAD versus the, the measures used in the Human Lactation Research Group because they're actually quite different, aren't they? Yes. That one yeah. study by ELAD um, used quite a different approach to the, the measures that are used and have been validated actually in, in the, the whole body of work around um, sucking breastfeeding from the human lactation research group. So do you mind just addressing that? Yeah, um, I mean, obviously this is me um, just, I guess, reading and um, trying to understand the work they're doing rather than anything that I've done myself specifically in this area. But obviously, yeah. like you, I've visited Donna and... Um, uh, have in fact visited the group in Columbia as well, but at Columbia University. But um, so the interesting thing, and, and again, most of the research in this area was done with bottle feeding um, because that was easier to, to view um, with video fluoroscopy, looking at tongue movement. And certainly the, the concept of how babies breastfed was um, believed to be a peristaltic movement, which is like a wave-like ripple that moves anteriorly to posteriorly on the dorsal surface of the tongue. I guess stripping, We could call that the stripping um, model, couldn't we? Yeah. Um, so, which then, can I break in, because that then naturally yeah. leads to a kind of structural model of suck dysfunction. If you're, if you're having this concept of the peristaltic movement that, strips compresses the breast and strips out milk then that leads to okay there's a structural problem that's interfering with suck something's wrong with the way that tongue's moving wrong with for instance the 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 frenulum yeah I'm, I'm not sure I, I think um yeah I'm not sure if that relates specifically to it being structural because I would have thought from that that it could be just a coordination you know, or a functional or coordination issue. But anyway, the, the certainly and certainly some of the um, earliest ultrasound work 
um, was thought to support that as a concept that, uh, and I, I'm sure you I might um, just break in there again to say yeah. that the reason why I, I make that sort of link between a stripping model and then um, structural assumptions around tongue movement um, is, is just that in the early work um, around ankyloglossia um, that, that um, you know, was using posterior tongue tie as a diagnosis, um, the whole biomechanics um, of suck that were being um, uh, used to support um, phrenotomy for posterior tongue tie were developed out of a stripping model, at least at the outset, and then that model began to sort of change and blur. But that, that was why I mentioned it, Nikki. Mm. So um, David Elad's work um, used ultrasound and they use um, computer-generated analysis um, using a, a form of surface tracking. So what they did is they um, looked at the outline of the hard palate um, and they looked at the outline of the dorsal surface of the tongue and they were able to mark fixed points. So they numbered them along each of those surfaces um, in the midline. And then they um, did a quite complex um, computerized analysis of how those contours um, moved relative to each other during um, the, the sucking process. And what they um, identified was that, in fact, the, the anterior tongue did not have any peristalsis, that it moved on block, so that moved, it mean, moved all together, and it moved um, synchronously with the mandible. So as the mandible lowered, um, the, the dorsal surface of the tongue also moved away from the hard palate. And this had already been shown in um, the human lactation research group's ultrasound studies too, so it confirmed that? Yeah, so this, I think this was the first time that it had been looked at from a very um, bioengineering perspective where they were able to analyse it with numbers and give statistics in and, and a, and a quite... Um, quantitative um, assessment of that. Yep. And can I jump in too? Because when you say anterior tongue, can we just uh, clarify the terms that you're using now? So I notice in your papers and in our discussion today, we're talking about the tongue base. That would previously have been referred to as the posterior tongue? Yes. So yep. I, I think... Um, and probably just to clarify, can I jump in a little bit more there? Yeah. Because there was also a time in the human lactation research group's work with ultrasound that what we now call the mid-tongue was being labelled as the posterior tongue. Um, so it's just it's just to get our terms straight, isn't it? So when you're talking tongue base, you're talking about what has more recently at the Human Lactation Research Group been identified as the posterior tongue. And can I clarify with you, because you can't really see that posterior tongue So clinically. just to clarify, I, I think tongue base and posterior tongue are used synonymously. All right. So they're not, they're not referring to different things. Good. Yeah, I think, um, I think uh, 
the tongue base extends right down to the the the, t- the base of the epiglottis, so the the vellicular. So it includes the pharyngeal surface of the the tongue. So it extends quite significantly down into the hypopharynx. So, so if I do um, an oromotor assessment, how much of the posterior tongue or the tongue base can I actually see, can I actually visualise? I would say none. Okay, that's really important to clarify, I think, yeah. for our listeners. Yep. So... Um, yeah, I, I think if, if everyone remembers back to their anatomy days, so the foramen cecum is um, in the circumvallate papillae, you know, you the little V at the back of the tongue. Everything beyond there, so the lingual tonsils um, and down into the the surface of the tongue that faces the back of the pharynx is the the tongue base. And I guess you might, if the lingual tonsils are quite bulky, you might, and if they gag, you might be able to see the back of the the posterior tongue. But generally we're looking at the anterior tongue, which is the free tongue um, from where it attaches to the floor of mouth to the tip of the tongue and the mid tongue, which is everything between that and the tongue base. And they're not, you know, the anterior tongue, tongue and not clearly demarcated or anything yeah, else. Yeah. I think it's a little bit artificial to to separate them yes really. but I think but, the important finding that you um, also saw in your real-time MRI but which both this single David Elad study and and also Donna's team have shown is that the anterior and mid tongue move on block really with the mandible tracking the um excursion of the mandible would you agree yes yes yeah so the to create and i I think it's it's really kind of putting together what david's group and donna's group have done to get the understanding so i think what the work that they've done is quite complementary um if you put together you know, the components that they've looked at. So Donna's... Well, group- can I jump in again? Sorry, Nikki. Um, but but I just muse on whether that's true because I heard one member of the team interpreting the um, ELAD study in a way that did seem quite different to my mind to what I would say has emerged out of Donna and her team's work. So this person was was saying that there's a kind of wave-like movement between the anterior tongue and the posterior tongue and she was using almost a seesaw analogy and was talking about the tongue coming up and uh, and compressing, if you like, and uh, at the same time as the posterior tongue moved downwards. And I just was interested to hear your thoughts about that. I, I don't believe that that's a correct interpretation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard without, I mean, obviously I haven't heard what they've said specifically, but yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think um, my, my understanding of, you know, those two bodies of work is that I think they are quite complementary. Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah. I think... Um, 
And that your MRI work fits quite nicely with it all as well. Yeah, I think that, I mean, it, it does. Which I is hopeful, believe. isn't it? It gives us that sense of really starting to develop a yeah. nice picture of what's going I, on. And, and I think, too, um, remembering that, you know, the ultrasound is really just looking in the midline and not understanding the three-dimensional nature of the, so the, the tongue is a muscular hydrostat, so it's essentially a, like a beanbag, if you like, mm. that has no skeletal structure. And the intrinsic muscles of the tongue attach to the connective tissue on the outer surface of the tongue. So when they contract, they alter the contour of the tongue by pulling or relaxing to allow the surface of the tongue to change in contour. But the volume um, doesn't change? The volume doesn't change. Mm. So it allows um, the tongue essentially to be like a, a, a bean bag that can change in contour and shape very responsively to, to what's required of it. Um, and if you imagine... Um, that the, the oral cavity is a, a room or a space and every individual, the, the dimensions um, of that space are different, right? So everyone is a little bit different, the shape of and contour of the, the hard palate um, and the angle down to the alveolar ridge. Um, and the tongue in an infant actually fills a lot of the oral cavity. So at rest, um, if you look at, you know, cadaveric pictures, you know, the tongue fills, and that's considered a, a age um, developmental difference between infants and adults is that the tongue is relatively large in the oral cavity in an infant. And the reason for that is breastfeeding because the tongue has to be able to, fill all of the space around the nipple and, and bring the nipple to the roof of the mouth and close all of that space to create the vacuum, which is what Donna's team has shown, is that the latch is the baseline vacuum. And to create that vacuum, you have to have no air in the oral cavity. And so the tongue has to be this magic beanbag that can fill all of that space and cup around the sides of the tongue and and uh, create that... that um, all of it yeah and so then the the contouring of the tongue and this is this is um something that i'm really interested to continue to talk with you about because i know we've had these discussions in the past but the contour of the tongue then actually conforms to um almost uh, supply uh, wraps around the um intraoral breast tissue that's available and given that the amount of intraoral breast tissue is dynamic, dependent on how that little baby's body is is um, fitted into the mother's body. Absolutely. Then, then in fact, we've got tongue contour that's changing dynamically in response to intraoral breast tissue volume, and. It, Often, you know, in the interpretation of this research around the biomechanics of infant suck, we're measuring changes in the contour of the tongue and talking about that as tongue movement that's, that's driving the breastfeeding, whereas in, in the gestalt um, interpretation of the biomechanics, I've been arguing that, that actually 
the tongue as much as anything is is conforming to available intraoral breast tissue, um, which is dependent on vectors of force that might be contradicting the, the vacuum that's being created. And while I'm on this little riff, Nikki, uh, this paper's under review, but since you and I last spoke, Donna and Sharon and I have written up that small case series that I'd mentioned to you previously. And uh, it's clear that a brief gestalt intervention, or as I say, clear in, in the context of, of a small case series, which is very preliminary, but a brief gestalt intervention really did alter those parameters of tongue movement. I would argue alter contour of the tongue because of its impact on vectors of force operating within the baby's mouth. And uh, and this change in um, tongue contour that's often previously referred to as change in tongue movement is consistent with parameters that have been measured post-phrenotomy. That makes sense to me completely. There's nothing um, at all that surprises me in that. And I guess from from a biomechanical perspective, just in in my mind, trying to understand and and kind of think about general principles that you then apply to an individual, is there are things that can't be changed in in the short term. For example, the contour and height of the arch of the hard palate. Um, or the size and position of the mandible. So those things are fixed as such. They do change with huge growth of the mandible in the first three to six months. But the, and obviously the amount that the tongue has to elevate to create that vacuum around the nipple is hugely dependent on the volume of breast tissue inside the mouth. So if, the infant is, um, let, let's just say the mother has large nipples. Yep. The tongue and the the, um, the infant's palate is not high arched, then the tongue essentially doesn't have to elevate at all in the midline because the tongue, the nipple fills that space and the sides of the tongue just cup around to close that space. Yep. But if you have an infant with a mother who has a small nipple and the infant has a high arch hard palate, the potential space that the tongue has to fill is greater. But if in that same infant you get a deeper latch, mm. that's the it. volume... That's it. So that's a variable that has the biggest impact on how high... The tongue has to elevate. Yep, yep. To, because and there's I a agree. lot of it's uh, you know my my of, view. Um, you, go on. There's a lot of um, rationalisation around phrenotomy that the lingual frenulum is stopping elevation of the tongue and yep. stopping creating the, the vacuum. Yeah. But actually, the first thing that you want to try, obviously, you can't change the actual anatomy and elasticity of the mother's breast tissue, but you can alter how high that infant's tongue has to elevate by altering the fit and hold. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And I do wonder The biggest variable, did you say? Sorry, it just cut out there and I wanted to capture that. Yes, I completely concur. Yes. And and I think um, perhaps just you know, musing that perhaps some of these, 
you know, mothers that are having significant pain with breastfeeding, um, that the baby that they have a poor fit and hold, they don't have a lot of breast tissue in the baby's mouth. The baby is creating trauma because of those biomechanical issues and is having trouble getting a vacuum. You know, and they they're getting a phrenotomy to allow the tongue to elevate more when in fact what they should be doing is trying to get a deeper latch and a, a better fit and hold. Um, that would in fact fix those problems rather than having to cut their babies. <laughs> it's just a... and I wonder if that's if that's a place for us to close, Nikki, um, yeah. because in fact <laughs> I completely agree with you. Um, mm. I I want to thank you for um, giving so generously of your time for this conversation today between New Zealand. Nelson, New Zealand and, and Brisbane, Queensland, um, because I found it absolutely fascinating. So I want to thank you for that. But even more so, Nikki, I want to thank you on behalf of women who are wanting to breastfeed their babies for the years of work that you've put in to this um, series of papers around the functional anatomy of suck and swallow in breastfeeding babies. It's such an important contribution to our understanding of how to help women have that experience that so many are really craving, pain-free, enjoyable, workable but enjoyable breastfeeding of their baby. So for that, I thank you. Thanks, Pamela. Well, thanks for listening. It's been great to have your company. And remember to check out the non-profit website, possumsonline.com, for lots of free resources and programs and the publications that form the evidence base to neuroprotective developmental care or the Possums programs. As together, we grow joy in early life. I hope you tune in again soon. Bye for now.